Well, it's good to be with the brethren in Holland again uh, this evening. I was thinking about the first time I heard the, the name Holland. It was the first time I met uh, Mark Rains, your former, one of your former pastors here, uh, maybe six years ago. And it, uh, we moved into Connecticut about the same time. And I was in his home when the church was moving him. And I was meeting everyone at the church, including him. And uh, there was a U-Haul. And they were saying he had just come in with his family from Holland. And I was looking at the U-Haul and thinking, across the ocean, Holland? Um, I did not think that uh, someday I would be here and get to meet uh, the people of God here. So it's a blessing to be with you. We think about you and pray for you over at uh, Grace Emmanuel. This evening, I'd like to us to go to Philippians chapter 3, God's word today from Philippians chapter 3. I'll be reading from verse 1 to 11, but our focus will be especially on verse 3. I'll be highlighting verse 3, those marks of the true circumcision, marks of the true Christians, the true people of God. But let's read beginning verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. Let's, let's pray again. Father in heaven, I thank you with your people here. I thank you that you saved me from my sins. 
that each of us who are your children, Lord, can look to you with thanksgiving. Thank you for coming into my life and finding me in my sin and lostness and redeeming me, bringing me to yourself through faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, I, I thank you for Christ, for salvation in him, for the riches of grace that we have in him, and for the hope of glory that he is to us, your people. Father, I thank you that you have revealed your Son in me and to me that I may proclaim him. And thank you for the privilege to spend time in your word and see this, these riches. I pray, Father, that you would help this evening, that you will uh, speak to us from your word, that you would instruct us. We pray you would refresh us by your word. We pray that you would supply what is lacking in us to our faith. And we pray that you will be present also in saving power as we look at these marks of a true believer. We ask that you would encourage where they are and stir us up in the ways of God. And we do pray that you would come and by the sword and the knife of your word and the hand of your spirit that you would do the heart circumcision in those that are not saved here this evening. Lord, bless your word. We look to you. We renounce dependence upon mere man and hope in you by your spirit to do a work that would be good for us and would have lasting fruit. Lord, help. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Now, if you just walked into a church this evening, if you're not um, very familiar with the Bible, and you hear them talking about circumcision, what are they talking about? Circumcision, a church. What's that about? It's not a subject for everyday conversation. It's not something we talk about all the time. It's not the forefront of our minds or a subject of conversation or any really major importance for us. But in, in some cultures, it actually is. Think about the Ameru people of Kenya, of whom I am, I am one. Among the Ameru, circumcision is a very important cultural, uh, social thing. It's a, it's a rite of passage, usually performed on boys about the age of 13, 14, sometimes older. And it comes with laden with all kinds of social uh, implications. There, there are places you could not go, you could not enter if you were not uh, circumcised. It's a, it's a communal affair laden with all these rituals and practices and, and significance. But with the coming of uh, Christian missionaries and other aspects of Western influence, there have been changes to this practice among the, the Meru and other African communities. For example, instead of performing it outside uh, amidst singing and uh, with the designated man to do that. Now, some people, many people, opt to do it in a more 
hygienic way, and they go to hospital, and it's, it's a surgery. But you can imagine this has caused tension sometimes in the society as some who have kept to doing it the traditional way look at those who go this modern way and they say, that's, that's, that's not true circumcision. That's not, that's not the real thing. And they can look down on, or in some way speak ill of those who have gone a different way in terms of uh, circumcision. Now, in our verse for this afternoon, Paul is speaking about circumcision. For we are the circumcision. But now, circumcision in Scripture is very different from what I was uh, describing there among the Meru people. It's, it has more spiritual significance. It's, it's important to know what circumcision is in Scripture and to see true and spiritual Circumcision. Paul says here, we are the circumcision. It's the subject of that verse. Now, to understand this, we do need uh, some context in um, the rest of Scripture. But just, just, just within, within this verse, just to see within the immediate context here, what's going on? Paul is writing to this church at Philippi. It was uh, a church that he planted. You remember there in Acts 16, Paul goes into uh, this place in, in, in Philippi, and, and he, through, through, through him, people are brought to faith. The Philippian jailer, he asked, what shall I do to be saved? And Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. That was someone saved at, at Philippi. Oh, Lydia, Paul goes there down to the river, and there, there's a prayer meeting going on, and, 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 and Paul speaks, and God opens Lydia's heart. And there she is, she's brought in, she's saved through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so Paul was there at the beginning, the founding of this church. And it's, it's a church that Paul seems to have a very good relationship with. He, they're in partnership in the gospel. You can read that in at the beginning um, chapter, verse 7, for example. There he, he says they've been partakers with him of the grace of God, even in his imprisonment. Later on in chapter 4, he's thanking them for sending uh, a gift. Verse 15, you Philippians, you yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. So he he has this good relationship with this uh, church that he's writing to. And although all is not well at the church at Philippi, uh, for example, in, in, he has to exhort in chapter 4, Euodia, this woman, Euodia, and Syntyche, he has to ask them to agree in the Lord. So everything's not well, but relatively speaking, compared to other churches, things are well uh, at, at Philippi. And so it's a letter marked with warm affection. It's a letter uh, marked with joy. Many times Paul is speaking to them about rejoicing, there are many verses in this, in this letter that I believe many of you uh, know and love. Providentially, this morning, there was a visiting uh, missionary pastor preaching at our church, and he preached from Philippians chapter 1. So it was very good uh, preparation for me for this evening. Uh, but it's, it's a letter filled with, with much joy. Um, however, in the midst of calling them to rejoice in the Lord, he also does give warning. Look at 
verse 1 of, of the chapter we're looking at. He's calling them, finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. There's some dangers. And verse 2, he's, he says, look out for the dogs. He, he's warning them, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. He's giving a warning against these people who, instead of leading them to the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom is joy, are seeking to lead them away. And so he's warning them, look out. Now, when he says, look out for the dogs, Paul is not warning against German shepherds and labs and poodles and all kinds of dogs like that. No, he is speaking, he's warning against people, false teachers, false teachers. Why dogs? It's, a very, it's very ironic. Remember, uh, in Scripture, the Jews would sometimes call the Gentiles dogs because dogs in that society were unclean, they were outside, and so those Gentile dogs. And now Paul is speaking about these Jews and he's calling them dogs. Why? He says, he calls them evildoers. Look out for the dogs. Look out for evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Mutilate the flesh. The word he uses there is very close in sound to uh, the word for circumcision, but it's, it's putting it in a negative way. Those people who claim to be teaching circumcision, but all they're doing is it's a destructive work. They're the concession, some versions put it. They're, they're not doing anything that's good and helpful. They're destroying. So look out for the dogs. He's giving a warning. These people, he's saying, they're leading away. And who are these people? We read of them in, in other places in Scripture. For example, in Galatians, it's, it's these who are teaching that to become a true person of God, to be one of God's true people, to be saved and be in communion with God, you needed also to be circumcised. They were saying this of the Gentiles. Paul saying, look out for the dogs, a warning. This week, there's a, a dear lady at our church, and she saw her prayer meeting, and we were, my wife and I were talking to her and could see something's wrong with her arm. And what had happened, she was walking down her street, and someone was walking a dog, and the dog came right towards her. And she's, she's telling us that she had heard that you shouldn't look a dog straight. Instead, look the other way. And what happened? The dog bit her, bit her arm. She was not looking out. Now, thankfully, she's well. I saw her today. Her arm is doing better. But Paul's warning, look out. Look out for these people who are coming to pull you away from Christ, preaching a false gospel that's saying you need circumcision in order to be right with God. Now, why would they, why would they say that at all? Well, to do that, we have to remember the importance of circumcision among the Jews. It was very important. It was, in fact, given by God. Genesis 17, Genesis 17, verse 9 to 10. You see why they held it so highly. 
God speaking to Abraham, verse 9, And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant with you, which you shall keep, between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. So you see, it was instituted by God. And so it was so important for the Jews that it became a name for the Jews in general. They they called it the circumcision. For example, in Romans 15, verse 8, Paul there speaking about Christ coming as a minister, a servant to the circumcision, meaning to the Jews and also to the Gentiles. Or again in Galatians 2, verse 7 and 8, Paul is speaking about Peter, and he says Peter was specifically uh, assigned with the gospel for the circumcision, just as Paul was assigned the gospel for the Gentiles, meaning Peter for the Jews and Paul going more generally to the Gentiles. So it became virtually identical with being a Jew, a member of the covenant community, Abraham's offspring, to be circumcised. And if you were outside, if you were not circumcised, they, that had implications. For example, Exodus 12, 48, no uncircumcised person could eat the Passover. Joshua 5, 8, the second generation coming out from Egypt, they had to be circumcised. Judges 14, 3, Samson's parents, they could not take it that Samson wanted to go and get a wife from one of those uncircumcised Philistines? David, before Goliath, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So that's how they viewed the uncircumcised. Now, why would we be looking at this? Because, friends, there is such a thing as spiritual Circumcision. There is such a thing as heart circumcision that marks the people of God. And that's what Paul is speaking about here. Now, already in the Old Testament, we did have statements indicating that there is such a thing as heart circumcision. It was, it was there already in the Old Testament. For example, in Deuteronomy Chapter 30 and verse 6 says there, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Already in the Old Testament, there's this inward reality being called circumcision that leads one to love the Lord an inward reality, an inward change that leads to love for the Lord. We see it again in Jeremiah, for example, just one verse in Jeremiah, chapter 4, verse 4. And it comes there with a warning as well. In verse 4, circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts, O men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my wrath go forth like fire, and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. 
circumcise your hearts, lest wrath go forth like fire. And one lesson from there is that if you're not circumcised in the heart, wrath, wrath, the wrath of God like fire will come against you. And so how important then it is that we know what true circumcision is. And blessed be God, here in this verse, Paul gives us what are those signs, those marks that now mark the true circumcision. And we have three of them, and we'll just look at them in turn, just as they appear here. Look at verse 3 again. Who are the true circumcision? We are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God. That's the first thing. So the first mark is this. The true circumcision, they worship God by the Spirit. The true Christian, the true people of God, those who are now marked as belonging to God, the true heirs of the promises given to Abraham are marked by this. They worship by the Spirit of God. And he is emphasizing And it's amazing that Paul, the Jew, who says in verse 5, he was circumcised on the eighth day, he's, he's looking and he's saying to Gentiles, to Gentile believers, and he's saying, we, you and I, who are in Christ, we are the circumcision, the ones worshiping by the Spirit of God. Now, what is, what is this? What is, what is worship? What is this pointing to? Now, the word here can mean more broadly to serve, but, but it's most commonly used for, in the sense of religious worship, service to a God. Sometimes it's used for idols, but also for the true and living God. And, and it does involve those uh, special acts that we think of more when we think about worship. You know, things like prayer and song and sacrifice and bowing down before God such acts that are more that, that, are, that we're doing, those things that we do in a, you could say, in a worship service, in a worship setting, those, those are there. Those are included there. And the Christian does all of that, that which is commanded by God, by the Spirit of God. But it also, it's, it's, it's broader than that as well. It does include... A life, there is a, there's a lived out sense of worship as well. And we see it in a verse like Romans chapter 12. And there, in that verse, Romans chapter 12 verse 1, we kind of see a coming together of the worship that we can think more of in terms of te- the temple as they would in the Old Testament. Uh, but brought together with a life lived for God. Look what what Paul says there. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual or rational worship. It's the same word there. Some versions have it as service. And you see what Paul is doing there. He is, on the one hand, going to the picture of temple sacrifice, a, live, a sacrifice, 
But he's saying here, and as a Christian, it's you're a living sacrifice. There's a lived out aspect to worship that permeates all of life. So he'll go on in verse 2 to say, do not be conformed to this world, be transformed, renewing of your mind, and that leading to a living out the will of God. And so Paul says the worship of the true circumcision is by the Spirit. One author, John Risbridge, he has a book on worship, and he defines worship this way. He says, worship is a response of God's revelation of himself empowered by the Holy Spirit, which finds expression in every aspect of human life and experience. Worship as a response to the revelation of God. God revealing himself and in the heart responding in appropriate ways. And that has expressions in in the corporate expression of worship by God's people. But it does also have a broader sense to it as we live in response to who God has revealed himself to be. You see that in the Psalms, uh, for example, where worship is a response of who God has revealed himself to be. Look at Psalm 100, for example. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know there is something to know. There is revelation to receive. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. He is responding to the truth and revelation of God as creator. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. This is worship going on. Why? There's reason. There's revelation. The last verse, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Something about God leading to the response of the heart. This is worship and it has implications in all, in all of life. Now, Paul says that that the worship of the circumcision is by the Spirit. It's worship by the Spirit, in the Holy Spirit. Now, what is this in contrast to? What is this worship in contrast to? Well, some things we can say. First, it's not focused on the external regulations so much. It is dealing with as spiritual realities. Think, for example, in terms of the temple. There was a physical temple for the Jews to go and, and worship in. But is there a temple for us? Yes, there is. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Matthew 12, verse 6, Jesus saying there is something greater than the temple is here. He's speaking about himself. In John 2.19, he says they destroy this, this temple. I'll raise it up on the third day himself. We read in, at the beginning of the service from Psalm 63, going into the sanctuary and there beholding the glory of God. Where do we go now? It's in Christ. 
He is the true temple. Worship now is in him. It's not the externals now so much. It's in Christ. And, and the people of God, united to Christ, are called in Scripture also the temple of the living God. First Peter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It's now, it's a spiritual reality. God's people himself with God living in them by his spirit so that wherever they seek him, he is found. Not the externals so much. It does not rest in blood relations, ethnic identifications. Paul goes on to renounce those later on, uh, focusing especially on the matter of justification. But we see that there, the worship now of God's people to spiritual reality. And it is not merely external in terms of going through the motions and external acts only. There's, there's an inwardness to the worship of God's people, of the true circumcision, of those whose hearts have been circumcised. It's, it's a spiritual reality. Paul uses this same word for serving, worshiping, in Romans 1.9, when he, when he speaks there and he says, God whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son. There's an inward reality. It's worship that's not merely human. That's another thing we learn from this. It's, it's, it's worship that's not merely human. It's not just the man on his own strength, on his own steam, worshiping God. No, it's enabled and empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. How does the Holy Spirit enable true worship? How is it that the worship of the true circumcision of God's people now is by the Holy Spirit? How does the Holy Spirit enable true worship? Well, one thing, it's he enlightens, he illumines, he teaches, he shines into our hearts giving a knowledge of the true object of worship, of the God that we are to worship. The Holy Spirit shows us who God is in his character, in his glories, in his excellencies. And true worship can come from such a heart and such a life that are seen the king in his glory. Then you can worship in spirit and in truth. The Holy Spirit also shows us the true means of worship. Ultimately, as we said, it's Christ. The Holy Spirit reveals Christ in whom we have access, the mediator to the presence of God for sinners like us, in whom we can see all the glory of God. And so, in John chapter 4, the Lord Jesus speaking there to the woman, the Samaritan woman there, and, and he teaches her about worship She's asking, where should we worship on this mountain or the Jews say on that mountain? And Christ says, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Truth, revelation, out of a true knowledge of who God is. The Holy Spirit does that opens the eyes so that we worship in spirit and in truth. Isn't that what he did for you, believer? 
If you're saved, one of the things the Holy Spirit has done for you is he has made you a worshiper of the living God. You see him. You can bless him because of his goodness, because of his mercy, because of his greatness. You can see these things. That passage we looked at in, in Romans 12:1, it's in view of the mercies of God. You have to see those first, what God has done for you. And then there is true worship, true service to the living God. But the Holy Spirit also gives us true, acceptable desires in worship. That's, that's one other thing that the Holy Spirit does in the heart of the true circumcision. When he circumcises the heart, he's giving those affections that are right and fitting in worship. That love that we, we saw there in Deuteronomy, the Holy Spirit is doing that in the hearts of the true circumcision of the true people of God. And so, the circumcision are marked by worship. And so this makes the Christian's worship different from anything else that's called by the name of worship in this, in this world. Are you a worshiper of the living God? Do you know what we're talking about here? Is this a reality for you? Are you, can you, can, are you included there? We are the circumcision. Can you say, can you, can you respond back to Paul and say, yes, yes, we are. I, I, I see this a reality in my life. And as we said, because, because it's not tacked on, because it's not add-on, because it's not external, it, it reaches all of life because of an awareness of God and a regard for him. That affects everything. So that, as Thomas Manton, the Puritan says, he says, a Christian's life is a constant hymn to God or a continued act of worship Christian's life is a constant hymn to God or a continued act of worship, ever behaving himself as in the sight of God and directing all things as to his glory. Directing all things as to his glory. Because as Zacharias Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, there in Luke 1, 73, he says, God has come in the coming of Jesus. He has come and he has granted that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him, might serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. A continued reality. So that's the first mark of the true circumcision. They worship God by the Spirit. So is that you? Again, I ask, can you enter the spirit of the Psalms? Do you read the Psalms and, and see something of, of what they're talking about there and, and enter in and make those your own words? That is worship by the Spirit and according to truth because the Holy Spirit is also the spirit of truth. We are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God. Now, the second thing, this one sets apart, again, Christian worship 
from anything else. You know, you can talk to people out, out there and in the world, and they'll say, I'm spiritual. But the second thing that Paul gives here really narrows it down. What does he say? The true circumcision who glory in Christ Jesus. Who glory in Christ Jesus. Some versions have it. Who rejoice in Christ Jesus. Some even who boast in Christ Jesus. Who take pride in Christ Jesus. All those are legitimate translations of of this word. It's when there's something so good, so great, so valuable, you, you rejoice in it, you're glad in it. This is, this is the meaning of this word. It's, it's a word used, for example, there in Romans 5 verse 2. It says, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. There's, there's joy, rejoicing in that. 5.11 of the same chapter in Romans, we rejoice, we glory, we boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's something that does, that you find reliable or some other quality, good, everything that's good. And, and you can rest in that and exalt in that. It's, it's, it's a word that can include all of those ideas. And it's saying here that the Christians rejoicing, the Christians Boasting is in the Lord Jesus Christ. The true circumcision, the glory in, in Jesus Christ. Now just four things uh, that we can see in from this passage and this context of Paul himself glorying in Christ. And the first way we see it is in this matter of justification, in this matter of standing before God. How will I stand before God? How will I stand before God? And what will I plead when I appear before God as judge? What is it? What is it? We see Paul glorying in Christ in the matter of justification. That's, that's one way we see it. In verse Beginning verse 4, he goes on to renounce all, anything that would be resting in himself, in his flesh, as we shall see in our last point. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So Paul is listing all of these things that he could presumably bring before God and say, God, look at me. Look at all of these things. I am of the tribe of Benjamin. I, I have kept the law. He's saying, no, all of those things. I renounce all of those things. I will not depend on any of those things as the reason for my standing before God to be justified. Instead, he glories in Christ. He boasts in Christ, in his work, and in his righteousness. That's what he goes on to say there in verse 9, that he wants to be found in Jesus. 
In Christ, in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So this is one way, one way for you to see if you are someone who is boasting and glorying in Jesus Christ. What are you resting in if you were to die this very day and appear before God? What would be your plea? Or if we would hear the trumpets, the last trumpet, louder than a thousand thunders, shake this vast creation round, and we see the Lord Jesus Christ, the judge of all the earth, descend, and all the dead call forth from their graves, and we, you and I, call to stand before the judge of all the earth today. What is it? that you would bring before him to say, this is the reason I should not be condemned. This is the reason I should not face the wrath of God. This is the reason why, despite all my sin, I should not be sent to God's prison in hell. But Paul says, it's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We had that played just today. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. I dare not trust. That's what Paul is saying. I dare not trust anything, whether it's how I feel, sweetest frame, or whether it's where I was born, or what I have done. All of that is rubbish. It will not avail on the day of judgment. And so the language of the circumcision is Jesus. Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, my beauty are, my glorious dress, midst flaming world, in these arrayed with joy, I shall lift up my head. Bold shall I stand in that great day, for who ought, who anything to my charge shall lay? Dressed in these, I'm safe. The righteousness of Jesus Christ, that's, that's the boast, that's the glorying of those who are the circumcision when it comes to how they will stand before God, Jesus, not what these hands have done can save my guilty soul. Thy works, O Christ, not mine. What are these songs doing? That's the language of someone who is glorying in Christ Jesus. And we who are the circumcision, you, believer, you who are in Christ, you love to sing that, don't you? What are you doing? You're rejoicing in the Lord Jesus Christ in this matter of justification. You're glorying in him, resting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you do that, friend? Do you glory in Christ when it comes to your justification? And this has implications for how you live when, when you have been cut off from trusting in yourself and your righteousness in this area. You will glory in Christ in other areas as well. What's another way we see this glorying in Christ? Well, it's not only does the believer find righteousness in Christ but really, he finds all, all spiritual blessing in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
That's what Paul says there in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 31. Turn there with me for a minute. 1 Corinthians 1, 31. We're trying to see this rejoicing and this glorying in Christ. That's the second mark of true circumcision. We look there in verse 30. And because of him, speaking of God the Father, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Justifying righteousness, yes, but everything else, all of redemption, sanctification as well. How am I to progress in holiness? Jesus Christ, I find all in him. Who is my wisdom? Jesus Christ has been made to us wisdom from God. Ephesians 1, all spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. This is glorying in Christ came across a book by Philip Henry. He was the father of Matthew Henry, who we had quoted today. And on his dying bed, he told his daughters that they could pick any of his manuscripts. And one of his daughters took one that contained sermons titled, Christ All in All. And all it was is sermon after sermon, writing after writing, speaking about what Christ is to the believer. About 40 of these. Christ is our rock. Christ is our strength. Christ is our shield. Christ is our son. Christ is our song. Christ is our righteousness. Christ is our root. Christ is our vine. And he kept going and going. What is that? It's finding all in him. And when Philip Henry died at his funeral sermon, he had a man by the name, Mr. Talents. He preached a sermon, and all I saw was that he, the, the man preached, saying, emphasizing that it was not the goodness of Philip Henry that is bringing him into heaven, but rather the righteousness of Christ. Because, he said, for him, for Philip, to live is Christ. That's the language of Paul. He was a man delighting, rejoicing in Christ. That's the second thing, finding all in Christ. But also, a third way we see this glory in Christ, one way you can see if you are one of the circumcision is expressed by Paul later on in the, in the passage we looked at. And it's, thirdly, he is is an object of desire. There's this, you see this in Paul. He wants to know him. He he desires Christ to have him, to be with him, as he says in chapter 1, but also to know him. He says in verse 8, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. A desire to know him is an evidence that you are the circumcision. Does that describe you? Are you marked 
with a desire to know Christ as you go to your Bible, as you come to church, as you meet in fellowship with believers? Is there something in you that says, I want to hear of Christ. I want to know more of him. Even when you think about heaven, I want to be with him and know him. This is a mark of true circumcision. The fourth uh, thing under this point is, uh, this comes out in, in, in how we speak in, in our speech, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. There's at least 30-something, almost 40 times in this short epistle, Paul is speaking of Christ. That is an aspect of it. We confess him. So I belong to Jesus, and he is on our lips as well as in our hearts. And another way this shows up is in seeking to commend him to others, speaking of him. That is another evidence of one who rejoices, glories in Christ. Paul, while in prison, in chapter 1, there he is in, his, in prison, and then he's hearing that there are some people who are proclaiming Christ with wrong motives. Verse 18, what does he do? What is Paul's response? What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. He is glad that Christ is being made known. This is another evidence of rejoicing, glorying in Christ. Is that, is that you? This is a mark of true circumcision. Now, as we look at these, at these things, I hope you're, if you're a Christian, you, you're seeing that. But at the same time, there is a, there's a sense of, I'm, I'm not what I should be. I'm not where I should be. I could, I could have more of that. And you're in good company. Paul does go on to say he wants to press on in these, in these realities. So that's the second thing then. Glorying in Christ is a mark of true circumcision. Wherever else others think about Christ, true believers, God's people, they think well of him. They think highly of him. They glory in him. But thirdly, what else do we see there? Being of the circumcision, having this heart circumcision, this spiritual reality, not only changes how we relate to God in worship and how we view Christ, but also how we view ourselves. And that's the third thing. They put no confidence in the flesh. The circumcision, they put no confidence in the flesh. The third mark of true believers, of God's covenant people. Do you, do you describe Christians that way? Oh, the true there are people who do not put confidence in the flesh. This word, I mean, put confidence in, rely on, trust in, uh, be persuaded to rely on. It's, it's where you've seen something dependable and you're resting on that. You're trusting in that. And it says here, the Christian, the true circumcision, Put no confidence in the flesh. Now, flesh in Scripture can, can mean sinful nature, but also just merely human, human nature. 
human qualities, human beings, ourselves apart from God and Christ. And in the context here, it seems it can refer to some of these external things as well that Paul goes on to renounce. He's saying no confidence in any of those things, not just sinful nature, but man in general. We, the true circumcision, do not trust in the merely human. He's not depending on the, the act, the external act of circumcision. He's not depending on his pedigree, where, where he was born, who he was born to. And as a, as a believer, you, you don't say, I am trusting in my parents' faith. No, it is, it is not any of that. It's not works of the law. That's another way that you would show dependence on the flesh is if you're relying on the works of the law because that, that is to rely on yourself because the law is, is it's just a standard and the power to, and ability to keep it, to measure up to it, is, is not given by the law. So if you're depending on the law, you are ultimately depending on self, on the flesh, without Christ. That is boasting in the flesh. All of that is the Christian has come to say, in my flesh is no good thing at all. I cannot be justified by the works of the law. You see, when the Holy Spirit works in your heart, this is one of the things you come to see. I I cannot depend on myself. I used to think I am something, but the Holy Spirit works in you and you see, you know, I'm not very much. I see I'm guilty. I'm a frail human being. I must look to another, both for righteousness, for strength, for everything. I can't erase what I have done, and I don't even have the power to change my heart and to set myself free from the chains of sin. I cannot depend on myself. I must look to him. I must look to another. I need a savior. I can't put confidence in myself. You come to see that human strength is weakness. Human wisdom is folly. Human purity is filth. Human righteousness is unrighteousness. Human glory is shame. The circumcision put no confidence in the flesh. God brings you down before he raises you up to sit with Christ in the heavenly places. It's, it's a lowering in our view of self. It's a, it's a, there's a humbling in salvation. There's, and, and the people of God, the true circumcision, are marked by this, no confidence in the flesh. King Manasseh, that wicked king of Judah, he was brought down by the hooks and bronze chains of the Assyrians, and God humbled him before he looked up to God. No confidence in the flesh. Nebuchadnezzar, he had great confidence in the flesh. This great kingdom that I have built, he was brought low to eat grass like an ox before he could look up and give praise and bless the Most High God. The prodigal son, he was brought low to eat pig food before he came to his mind to see, I I should go to my father. Confidence in the flesh being cut off. Paul, the one writing this, he was brought down 
by the Son of the world, the light of the world, Jesus Christ, is brought down before he would say, Who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? And so this is one of the mark of God's people. They've been brought down so that there is now no confidence in the flesh. I am not Lord of my life. They begin to say, Jesus, you are lifted up in my life. You are Lord. The Christian, the people of God, the true people of God, the circumcision, they have cast a vote of no confidence on the flesh. None of that. And how can we see this? Again, going back to the issue of justification. One way to to know if you are putting confidence in the flesh is that self-trust, as we talked about leaning on your own goodness, your own righteousness, what you've done, how, how much you've given or prayed or repented. That is putting confidence in the flesh, in yourself. You have to look to Jesus Christ and say, He alone can save me to fully rest on Jesus Christ. But, but, but this shows itself in, in, in temporal things as well. Whether you depend on flesh and on human strength or on God, on the Lord, even in temporal things. Is your life marked by a dependence upon God? What is your mindset? Is it, I can do all things? Or is it, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? Chapter 4. Prayer is a good test of whether we put in confidence in the flesh. Later on in, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, he's saying, Paul is saying, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be known to God. What are you doing there? You're expressing dependence on, on the Lord. You're saying, Lord, I can't do it. We can't do it. We need you. We're putting no confidence in the flesh. Lord, help us. That's a good test for us. May the Lord increase our dependence on him and that it would show itself in a prayer life as well. I thought of this even in general. The Christian has, you've come to see what man is. What is man? And there is, you're not, Trusting man in, in an ultimate way, even, even, even a spouse as a Christian. Yes, there is, there is a trust that's appropriate in, in marriage. But if you dig below it, you see that ultimately the believer is trusting in the Lord to keep me and my dear wife, right? You, and, and that's why you want to marry a Christian. Those of you who are not married and you're thinking of, of marriage, one of the reasons to marry a believer in whom the Spirit of God is at work is because you can't, you can't put trust in man because they're fickle and changeable. You need someone who is God working in them. They have a, a, a supernatural source of love and forgiveness and humility because God is at work in them. Trusting in the Lord in that way as well, in temporal things, in service to God. Are you depending on your own strength or is it on God's? As I preach this sermon to you this evening, 
What am I depending on to do any lasting good? Is it anything in myself or is it that God can own his word and his Holy Spirit can apply his word to save and to sanctify and to bless his people? May the Lord help us to depend upon him to put no confidence in the flesh in terms of service. We are the circumcision who put no confidence in the flesh. Now, someone might object if you're thinking about confidence and you say, if, if I can't put confidence in myself, what, what, what will that mean? Will that, will that leave me you're just walking around like a worm. I can't look people in the eye. No confidence in myself. That would be true if there was no other source of confidence. There is such a thing as, as confidence in God, confidence in the Lord. Paul can say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. So we can be confident in what we are in God, what he has made us in creation, but also by his grace. And so we're depending on him there. I came across uh, something related to this uh, from uh, John Piper. Someone, uh, he is speaking about humility there, but they're closely related. He was saying, will humility make you fearful and timid? Or we can say, well, no confidence in the flesh. Will that make you fearful and timid. And he says, no, the world thinks that because they think the best source of courage is self-confidence. It's not. God-confidence is the best source of courage. And only humble people lean on God for confidence. Then he quotes Isaiah 51, 12 to 13. I am he who comforts you. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies and have forgotten the Lord your maker. Who are you that you are afraid? That's a strange statement. Who are you that you are afraid? And he says, in other words, fear of man is a sign of pride, not gospel humility. That statement there, only humble people lean on God for confidence. Only the humble will say, okay, I'm not going to rely on myself I, because I'm not much, anyway. I'll look to the Lord and rely on his strength and his help. What a source of confidence, then, in the Lord, not in the flesh. Is that, is that you? Can you be described this way? No confidence in the flesh? Or are you depending on self in these ways? So three marks, and we've seen they worship God by the Spirit, they glory in Christ Jesus, no confidence in the flesh. Just in closing here, how should we uh, use and apply this truth? The first, and which we've been doing, I hope throughout, is examining, testing, a trial of ourselves. Is, is this me? Am I the circumcision? Does my life evidence the circumcision of the heart? Am I one of God's covenant people? Now, covenant is not a word only for those people who baptize babies. I hope you know that. The covenant is, is a Bible word. It's a good word. 
we saw circumcision there in, in, in Genesis 17 related to, to covenant. And it's, it's a good word. It's a rich, sweet, strong, full to overflowing word that describes the intimate, loyal, and faithful love relationship between God and his people in Christ, bought and secured by the blood of Jesus Christ, who shed the blood of the new covenant, so that if you're in him, by faith in Christ, you're in this solid, faithful, strong, forever relationship with God. You're in covenant with him, and this is one of those, these three things are marks of those people who are in covenant with the living God. Do you have Holy Spirit-enabled worship? Do you glory in Christ? Have you renounced dependence on self and human strength and, right, and righteousness? But it's also for, for, for testing not just ourselves, but there's a place for as you look at others, now, primarily, it should be inward-looking, examining self. But given the context, Paul there was, was, was telling these Philippians to look out, to look out, to watch out for false teachers. And he he's given this as a mark of how, how to examine, to try their doctrine, their profession, their teaching. There's a place for that. If that person... That teaching is not marked by these three things. It is not of God. It is not of true circumcision. If that person is not fundamentally and in a real way, yes, not perfectly, not entirely, and we have not attained to perfection, but if if the root of the matter is not there of these three things, we can be assured they are not the circumcision, right? That's, That's the plain teaching of this passage. So testing, examining, trial. But there is this also for invitation for you who are not in Christ. What are you resting in? Yourself? There's a call in this passage to stop all of that and look to Jesus Christ. Not self-confidence, You need a Savior. You need one stronger than yourself, one more righteous than yourself. I was thinking about a time in high school when my school had gone to another school, and I I landed myself in trouble with with a group of boys from from another school. Uh, with, With my mouth, I said something I totally should not have said, uh, I had not learned Proverbs 15.1 or come to know and practice it. A soft answer turns away wrath. Instead, Proverbs 18, a fool's lips walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. That's exactly what I did. And before I knew it, these guys attacked me and they fell upon me. Before I knew it, I was on the ground, soiled there in front of a hedge and they were kicking and punching. At some point, I managed to get up, and someone punched me right in the eye. But as I looked to the right, I saw this group wearing green jerseys. That was my high school. A group running towards us from the school bus, and they came 
people from my high school, and they, they pulled me out of, out of that mess. And I, at some point during all of that, I was thinking, I'm, I'm, I'm going to die. These people will, will kill me. And, but then my saviors came, and, and they were pulling me out of it. But do, do you know, as, as they were doing that, I remember in pride and anger, I was, I was resisting. Let, let me lose on, on them. I, there I was about to be harmed very, very greatly there. And when these ones who were rescuing me were coming, there I was in pride wanting to go. And I don't remember even thanking them. I remember walking into the school bus ashamed with soiled all over and a bleeding eye. What, what's that? This, this pride not receiving help and rescue. And if, if you're in sin by yourself and not looking to Christ, you're in that position. That's a picture of where you're at. You're thinking you can fight it out all on your own. Your goodness, your strength, you put in confidence in self instead of looking outside to the one who has come to rescue sinners like you and me. Have you ever cried out like a poor man in Psalm 34 and said, Lord, save me? That's, that's my story. Eleven years ago, brought low, seen my need. Lord, save me, rescue me. I need you. And true to his word, he did. He saved a sinner like me, and he's been working in me, circumcised my heart by his word and spirit. And so thirdly, and related to that, this, this should be for praise and thanksgiving, believers, if this has happened to you, if these three marks describe you, uh, what reason you have to thank God. You did not make yourself this way. It's God. He is to be praised. If you're a true worshiper of God, glory in Christ, putting no confidence in the flesh, praise God. Hallelujah. This is a work of God. This is for our joy. I mean, Paul is speaking about joy there in verse 1. And, and, and these three things, such ingredients for joy in this life. Imagine that, worshiping God, seeing him for who he is, glorying in Christ, not, not looking to ourselves, depending on ourselves. This is, this is, these are ingredients. These are helps towards a more joyful life. This also is for your comfort and assurance, believer. If this is true of you, whatever else you lack, if these three things are there, you're a child of God and you're incredibly blessed. Your future is as bright as the promises of God. But finally, there is also here an exhortation for us to grow in these in these realities, right? Are you satisfied with how much or how purely or how frequently or how fervently or how sincerely, pervasively you worship God? No, we have not attained. Paul says, let those who are mature think that way. I've not yet attained. I've not yet arrived. Are you satisfied with how much you glory in Christ? How, how little I glory and rejoice in Christ. Lord, help us to do so 
more and more. Are you satisfied? Are you really fully free from any dependence and self and flesh? Is there not room for growth there? We have to say there, there is, right, brethren? There is room. May the Lord help us to grow. And, you know, as I was thinking of these things, in heaven, it really will be a perfection of all these realities. There, we shall worship God in the Spirit fully and perfectly. There, Christ, we shall see him as he is and glory in him and the Lamb who sits in the midst of the throne. And we will not be plagued by pride and look into self. It shall be all, all glory to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. May God bring us there. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would apply these truths to our hearts. We give you thanks for where we can say we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God. We glory in Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. Thank you for doing this heart circumcision in us. And we pray you would grow us in these things. And we ask Lord, that where this is not a reality, would you, Lord, even now, work it today. Bring low, humble, humble the sinner. Show them their need of Christ. Let them call on him, believe on him, and find life in him. To the glory of God, we ask these things. Amen.